Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Zach Diamond and I'm a middle school digital music teacher in Washington, D.C. And today I am joined by Kate McGillicuddy, a high school social studies teacher at Health Sciences Charter School in Buffalo, New York. Welcome, Kate. Hello. It is so great to have you on the podcast and I am very excited for tonight's topic. I'm excited also because we are kicking off our theme for the month of September, which is equitable grading. And this is a really, really big theme. And I think it's really interesting too, coming off of last month, August, where our theme was resistance. And I like the idea of transitioning into grading as a, as a place where we can resist, where we can disrupt and maybe feel some of those feels uh, that we're doing things in a new and revolutionary and maybe a little bit scary way. Um, grading is definitely a, a place to to live that out, to bear that out. So I'm excited to get into that conversation today on grading beliefs and mindsets. Um, so that's cool. Before we do that, though, Kate, I would love for you to introduce yourself a little bit to, to me and our listeners. Go ahead and tell us a little bit more about who you are and how you started your Modern Classrooms journey. Like we said earlier, I'm Kate McGillicuddy. I teach high school social studies in the city of Buffalo, New York. I also hold a certification as a literacy specialist, and this year I am mentor coordinator at my school. Um, this will be my ninth year in education. I did a year of service with AmeriCorps before getting hired full-time at the current school I teach at. How I got into Matter Classrooms Project, um, like many of my peers, was during COVID. During the last half of 2020, I had already started making instructional videos, but I knew I was missing something. And I got a grant to work with the Modern Classrooms Project model through a local professional development coordinator in Buffalo. And I did the Modern Classrooms Project Virtual Summer Institute, and I haven't stopped since. <laughs> of course. So you said the second half of 2020, you had sort of started on your own during the pandemic. Like once the pandemic was had started, you started sort of dabbling in instructional videos. Yes. I started with podcasting and recording myself for my students, but they well, needed cool. that visual. Yes. And so once I was able to add the visual with a slide deck, I noticed a huge increasing engagement and I just knew I was missing other pieces and Modern Classrooms Project was exactly what I needed. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously a little biased towards podcasts, but that's a great point. I mean, the kids <laughs> definitely benefit from the visual. I think that's really interesting because a lot of times teachers approach video production like from the other direction where they're sort of apprehensive about the complexity of of making videos. And I like this. It's like you started off real simple and actually you decided you needed to add more complexity to the video uh, to give more to the students. So I think that's a really interesting sort of on-ramp into the world of making videos. Very cool. Very cool. So let's start talking about grading. And grading is obviously a very, very big topic. Um, it can be a very emotional topic for teachers and for students. Um, so you know, I'd like to start off this episode and even this entire month of talking about equitable grading by 
maybe trying to nail down sort of a problem statement. You know, we are spending this whole month talking about equitable grading, and we spent last month talking about resistance and disruption, right? Disrupting oppressive and inequitable systems. And to bridge that gap and talk about how we can disrupt inequitable and oppressive grading systems, I think it would be good to start out by discussing the traditional approach to grading and try and lay out some of the concerns and problems that that traditional approach presents. So can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what is it that we're trying to to work away from, to move away from as we talk about equitable grading and grading in a modern classroom? There are so many things that I think of right away when we talk about those problem statements and like what we're moving away from in a modern classroom. One of the things that really stuck out to me is prior to Modern Classrooms Project, I was grading on a zero to 100 point scale, like most high schools in the United States. And why are there 64 opportunities to fail and only 36 to pass? Yeah. Yeah. That really got me. Wow. Yes. There shouldn't be more opportunity to fail than to pass my course. I had never thought about it that way. Once I realized that, um, I was like, this has to change. There has to be some other ways. In addition, as teachers, as we're working towards behavior management and working with different students and preparedness, we often like give grains to things that aren't measuring student progress, like participation points or notebook checks or other things that are super helpful with building student skills, but not necessarily measuring student ability. So I think those, once I realized that, I really started to challenge my notions. Um, One of the things I did right at the same time that I was working in Modern Classrooms Project was read a book called On Your Mark by Thomas Gusky. And in each chapter, he kind of challenges different grading practices like percentage grades, um, plus and minuses and half increments and class rank. And all of that really like helped me to break my traditional mold or traditional norms of grading and kind of try to see it from a new way. Okay, I'm definitely going to look into that. It sounds very interesting. Um, I'm reading right now for a future episode of the podcast, I'm reading on grading, which I'm, I'm getting a lot of really interesting stuff from that book too. And I want to read more on this. So this book sounds really interesting to me and I'm going to, to track it down. It is very short and it's perfect to share with other people who are like, oh, I like percentage grades. And it kind of helps like bust myths about each of those things. So like for me, it's helpful when I get pushback from other educators on like, well, why should we do it this way? Or like, I like my check plus system. Uh And this kind of gives some flaws in those systems. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, definitely something that I'm putting on my reading list. Um, The, I guess the follow-up question is then if we're talking about this is what we're moving away from, then what are we moving toward? You know, I don't know if there's anything in the book that he sort of presents as alternatives or just anything that you have tried, but you know, alternative mindsets and approaches, what what would you propose? I think um, a, a really big one that I'll go ahead and just say up front that Modern Classrooms really puts its weight behind is to put more of an emphasis on progression than, I guess, evaluation or grades, grading, um, those static one-off grades. We, we actually have a whole episode of that <laughs> coming up later this month too. But progression 
as opposed to grades specifically, I think is a really good sort of mindset shift, alternative mindset. Um, but what else? I mean, can you speak to some other alternatives, maybe more progressive approaches to grading that don't reflect that kind of factory model, that ranking, uh, classroom ranking model of, of education? My school during COVID moved to standards-based grading. So that's where I have a lot of experience measuring one standard or several standards for me is content and skills in a high school social studies classroom, but I'm measuring those throughout the year. So although I am assigning a one through four grade on there, on their assignments, I am able to measure their progression throughout the year based on where they're scoring on their one through four scale. So much like the Modern Classrooms Project, I am working towards the goal of progressing to mastery and needing the standards for my state as well as for my school. And that has been really helpful in shifting my mindset. In addition, I use a no zero policy. So the lowest a student can get is a 55. And that allows students to have more opportunity to pass throughout the school year. That would, I imagine, also be, that would have an effect on students who maybe miss an assignment and don't want to have their GPA completely tanked by getting a zero on something. Yes, for sure. That is actually one of the most controversial things, I think, when I discuss with other educators, is that if a student's not doing their assignments, they should not get a grade. Um, but a 55 is still failing the course. Right. So if a student chooses not to do assignments, or which is most of the case, they are unable to do it because of a family situation or a school situation, or they miss it for some other reason, they aren't hurt by that 55 in the way that they'd be hurt by a zero by a zero pulling their average way way down yeah yes sure. and a lot of kids can't come back from that uh -huh. um if you had a rough start to your school year i get more buy-in in my fourth quarter because even if they got a poor grade or maybe not what they wanted at the beginning of the year they're still able to make it up yeah yeah something that my, my school is an ib school and something that i really like about the way that ib sort of frames grading is that we should be looking at the student's most recent work and also coming up with a best fit judgment. So we actually, at my school, we actually just sort of decide on the student's final grade for the course each quarter, uh, looking at, you know, their assessment grades throughout the, throughout the term, of course. But if I see that one, one particular assignment is a zero and the rest are all, you know, sixes and sevens, our scale is out of eight, right? Eight is the highest grade. So if I see one zero and a bunch of sixes and sevens, it's like, okay, maybe something happened and the best fit judgment would be probably a six, right? Um, I just, yes. I had, and I have to think about the student too. You know, you mentioned standards-based grading. Could you, I'm going to maybe put you on the spot a little bit here, Kate, but could you describe what that is? Um, it's, I've heard it a lot and I would be interested to hear, it's not something that I've been trained in at my school, and I'd be interested to hear sort of a rundown of what it is specifically and how that's different from traditional grading. Can you can you describe that for me? Of course. I teach in New York State, so I have New York State social studies standards as well as literacy standards, and then different standards that my school may put towards my students or may have a goal. So I turn my state standards into student-friendly language so that students can really understand. So one example that I use is I can 
use evidence to support my claim when writing a paragraph. I am measuring on that standard every time that we're working on it. So when I am giving an exit ticket or mastery check um, in Modern Classrooms Project, I am rating them on that specific standard. So I'm saying, okay, that can they, on a scale of one to four, identify and use evidence in their paragraph? And so that standard follows them throughout the year. So kind of like you were saying with your progression, we are taking the most recent data of our students in terms of their content standards, as well as their literacy standards. And throughout the year, they're building on that same group of standards to then hopefully pass their New York State test at the end of the year. Got it. So what you're looking for is improvement within each of these standards, essentially. Yes, yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I feel like you need to read more about that too. Um, Oh, for sure. It's definitely um, can be overwhelming when you first start. But if you have a team of people that you're working with creating those student-friendly standards and then really just being strategic and how you're spiraling your standards throughout the year, it's super helpful. um, And it helps students identify what parts they did wrong. So for example, on a test, if they're tested on three standards, they might do amazing on standard one and two, and then standard three is where they messed up. So it's easier for me to look at my data and say, oh, this is where we need to reteach. It's not just the whole French Revolution. It's like just the causes. Sure. Yeah. And you mentioned the the student-friendly language for the standards too. That's that's really important, I think, right? Like I sometimes I see on, uh, you know, uh, lessons that my mentees submit to me, they'll put like the objective for this lesson is like standard MA one dot two three four, and it's like <laughs> I don't know if the student understands what that is, and it doesn't feel very actionable to me. But like if you can explain to the student like using in the language of the objective, uh, am I on the right track here? Like you know, yes, you are describing what they're going to actually do. You know, it helps them to to do it in addition to understanding where they got it wrong if they did. It does. And then in addition, on their mastery checks, I try to use that same language in their rubric. So when we're looking at our rubrics there, I'm saying, okay, you did identify, but did you explain? Mm -hmm. And then having those academic conversations surrounding what do these vocab terms mean? What are these testing vocabulary? uh, That is super helpful for our students. Sure. Cool. Okay. Let's move on. I want to Go, go back a little bit in, in your history as a teacher here, Kate, and, and ask you if you remember like a moment or maybe a, a school year when you sort of started to, to question more explicitly and maybe more actively that traditional approach to grading, when you started to kind of realize and understand that it was problematic. Um, you know, I, I, feel, I really feel like most teachers kind of have a sense of that pretty early on, but you know, as we discussed last month, there can be lots of things that sort of prevent us from questioning the norms, right? Fear uh, or, or imposter syndrome or feeling like we're not doing it right. Um, and so what was it that got you to sort of pursue or pull on that thread a little bit, you know, and be like, something is wrong here and I want to look for an alternative approach. Um, for me, I, th- I think it was actually modern classrooms when I started to realize like my students learning, learning at such different 
paces. Like it needs to be, I need to accommodate that. And I wasn't before it was a major failure of my teaching. And so modern classrooms really opened my eyes to that, but it could be something else. Uh, I'm just curious to hear from you, like what was the impetus for you to sort of begin on this journey of um, reframing grading in your, in your mind and in your class? I was familiar, I would say, with what mastery grading was, but I wasn't actually doing it. So I think I was going through the motions or trying to do it without fully being educated or reading or knowing enough when I first started teaching, which is every, when you first start teaching, everything is overwhelming. And as I continued on, I was losing my students who struggled academically um, and struggled to keep pace in a traditional classroom. And at that fourth quarter end of year, many of my students did the math and realized like, I can't pass this class anyways. What is the point of being in here anymore? I'm going to have to take it in summer school or I'm going to have to do it next year. Like what's the point in me actually participating anymore? And that is so disheartening as a teacher and as a student. I wouldn't want to be somewhere where I know no matter what I do this quarter, it's not going to help me. And during COVID, that really got exemplified. And we were able to really like break our thinking on how teaching had to be done since we were doing it from our kitchen tables. So I really think that that helped me to look more into mastery-based learning. And my school created a committee, which I served on for standards-based grading, to read our materials, research it, and start to implement it when we were back in person that fall. Yeah, that's you know that story is obviously very sad. Um, yeah, and I think that having currently reading on grading, it's a very good book on grading, and I think that. Um, what what that's making me think of right now is like if that's happening if the students are are looking at the math like you said and saying there's no reason for even for me to be here like just how much their focus had shifted from learning to grades you know like just how much the focus was on the only reason for me to go is to pass the class not because i have any interest in you know the work which I don't mean as a critique of you. I think it's like a very, I, I had a very similar experience as a younger teacher. Like I, I, these grades aren't motivating the kids. Like I, I personally, as a student was very motivated by grades. And so it, you know, I, it didn't have, it didn't occur to me that that wasn't really like a carrot or stick that I could use to motivate my students. Um, and, and reading this book is, is very enlightening to me to think about it that way. Like the focus is is so much more on something that's completely external to them than their their desire to learn. And they do desire to learn, I think. But the traditional grading approach doesn't allow that to kind of flourish, right? I, I agree wholeheartedly um, that it is difficult for students, especially in this when they've been in a traditional system to see those numbers, especially on a zero through hundred scale as anything more than numbers. And when we're able to shift it towards like, this is showing your growth, this is showing your progression towards mastery. They have a lot more buy-in and you don't have to be motivated by grades. I was super motivated by grades as well. So that is a difficult shift when your students are like, well, 
what's the difference between the 67 and the 71? There's not a huge difference in that aspect. Yeah. And, and I, and I think like (laughs) it's, it's, it's moving away from the numbers entirely that helps students to see the value of the learning. But if those numbers are there, it, it's just natural for them to become the focus. Yes. It is the natural progression to focus on those numbers. And so often as a teacher, when we see, give our feedback before we give the grade, um, that is something that I'm always striving towards is to be able to give them feedback before they see their point grade. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Feedback needs to be first. 100% agreed. Mm-hmm. I, prior to Modern Classrooms Project, something that motivated my students that does marry a little bit with Modern Classrooms Project um, is like a mastery check poster where when they completed their assignments, they would get a check mark or a stamp. And how it's similar to Modern Classrooms Project is using a public pacing tracker. Students are highly motivated by a public pacing tracker. And when I first started, I was so nervous that they would pick on each other or just be negative surrounding the public pacing tracker, but it's been nothing but positive for my students. They, I use a check mark system still, although I am giving feedback and rubrics on a mastery check. I just use a Google sheet and have them check off their assignment when it's complete. And they love seeing their check marks across the screen and they take so much pride in being on pace or being close to pace to working with their friends, helping their peers be successful and like catch up to be on pace or ahead of pace. And I would have never thought that 16 year olds would be so excited by a check mark. Right. Yeah. Uh, there is a, I feel like it's a demonstrable and objective difference between like putting up their grades, which we would never do and putting up their progress. Cause there's no, like there's none of that emotion around saying like, yes, I completed an assignment, <laughs> you know? Yes. It's not like you got, you got a one or you got a four. It's that, that there's more, there's just more emotion in that, you know, it's grades, but to say like I did it and I completed it successfully, there's nothing to not celebrate there. You know? Yes. And I really like it too. I personally track. Um, they're allowed to give check marks to themselves, or sometimes me, my students in each class have preferences, whether they want to check it off, whether there's someone that that's their job to check it off when I give approval. Um, but I track notes, practice, and mastery checks. So a lot of times students are like, oh, I didn't get to my mastery check, or oh, I didn't finish this lesson. And I'm like, yeah but you got two out of the three things done or you did yesterday's stuff and you got two more check marks today. So it's that progress and that might not be necessarily reflected in a grade, but it is reflected in the public pacing tracker. And my students are feeling themselves when they get those check marks. Yes, exactly. That's what I was getting at before, like the progress over grades, right? It's like, even if each individual thing isn't actually even graded, right? Just the fact I don't grade my, my mastery checks, um, or even any, my entire lessons are not graded. Right. And so within a project, there's maybe 10 lessons, right. And each individual lesson is graded out of one, right? So that's not really a grade. Uh, 
it's just I, you did it right. Or if I give you a zero, it means that you need to revise. And so on the progress tracker, that looks like either a check or an R. Um, and again, there's really there's it, there's no like sense of judgment there. If there is, if there is an R, it's me saying I'd like to help you improve this. And obviously, I feel like it's very easy for us to focus on that because, like I said, it's kind of the biggest uh, built into the modern classrooms model. Kind of the biggest shift in a, in approaches to grading. Um, you know, we use that tracker to keep track of our students' progress, and and that's that's where the shift happens. But yeah, cool. I'd like to have you describe how you communicate all of this to your students. You know, I think a big part of dismantling these oppressive and inequitable systems is not only changing the teachers' mindsets, but also changing our students' mindsets. And, you know, we've sort of talked about this sort of emotional charge to, to grades. Um, and, you know, how can we, how, well, and this is obviously a big question. I'm not sure we're going to answer this, but like, how can we start to break that down? And, and more specifically, how do you communicate this with your students, you know, both in terms of the official grading scheme that you use in your class and maybe just sort of the informal conversations that you have with students when this stuff comes up? Informally, when my students first come to my classroom and they don't get graded on their notes or their practice assignments, they can't believe it. They're like, this isn't fair. I'm doing all of this work and you're not uh -huh. giving me a grade. Uh -huh. And we get to have those conversations. A lot of my students are athletes. Many are performers. They love that aspect. Or many of them are on drill teams. Um, and I tell them, would you show up to game day without practicing? Right. Their answers are no, I'm not going to do that, miss. I'm going to fail or I'm going to lose my game. I love it. And I say, well, did the score and practice count? Is that on our record for the school year? And they always, then their jaw drops and they're like, oh, miss, you're right. I should have <laughs> done. They're like, oh, I need to do my videos. I need to do my practice assignment. And always like halfway through the year, three quarters of the year, they'll be like, can I just have my mastery check? And I'm like, okay, but do you think you're going to pass it? Do you think without doing the video and the practice, you're really going to be able to do a good job demonstrating your understanding? And then they're always like, no, never mind. I'm going to go watch my video now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I love that. What a great analogy. But it's like, there it is, right? There's the problem mindset, right? There's the yes. grading first mindset. Uh, it's like, it's almost like, maybe this is, again, this is, coming from the fact that I'm currently reading ungrading, um, which I'll link in the show notes and people should read because there's an episode of this podcast on it coming up. <laughs> um, but it's like, in a sense, those are the easy parts of the class. The practice, lower stakes, the practice, the guided notes, at least in my class, the guided notes are, you just write a couple things down and it's like, wait, you're taking away the easy way to get grades and I have to do the hard stuff now and you're only grading the hard stuff. <laughs> that's, I don't know if that's true of your class, but certainly that's how I'm interpreting it in terms of my own class. That is exactly correct in my class as well. Is that, okay. Yeah. Take, I'm taking away the easy points for them. Right. And so it's like, what do you want out of this? You know, I don't, my, my goal here is not for you to get higher grades. My goal is for you to learn more, to analyze more. And, and so like, yeah, right. I am taking away the easy stuff because 
the easy stuff isn't where you're being pushed. It's not where you're learning. It's just you copying by rote the things I write in my video. Like if I were grading you on that, you'd get all A's all the time. Exactly. That is also too really powerful in our practice assignments is when I get to explain to students both practice and mastery checks, even though my mastery checks are graded, that this is the time to make your mistakes. Like this is where we're learning, we're practicing, we're analyzing. This is where in practice you get to ask your peers or myself or my co-teachers for help. And this is the time where we like practice and fail. I don't expect you to be perfect. And being able to shift that mindset as well is like, this is meant to be an opportunity for you to practice without any stakes. Right. That is really powerful. Yeah, it is. It is really powerful. And as we go through the year, this has been my experience and and you'll have to tell me if it was yours as well. Like students do start to slowly move away from that grading mindset. Like you said, like those students who are like, yeah, I probably should do the practice. Huh? I probably should watch the video. Um, I do the same thing. You know, I let my students try the mastery checks without anything else first. And usually they can't do them. And I'm like, I know just the place for you to find exactly what you need for this lesson or for this mastery check. And they're like, okay, of course I'll help too. I'm not like, I'm not going to be like, I'm not here. You have everything you need, do it on your own. But, but yeah, it's like, if you really want to improve at this, and you need to improve at this because, if, you know, if you're getting an R on your mastery check, meaning that you need to revise it, you do need to improve. Uh, if you really want to that that improvement, you need to do the hard stuff. You need to dive in, do the learning, you know, and learn it for its own sake, not just for the grade. It's a hard it's a hard mindset shift. I think I think that I catch myself in the old in the old way of thinking from time to time as well, and it's it's a mindset shift. It is for sure. I also think we're put into systems in which challenging this is hard. Yes. So I think that also as teachers, it's hard. I'm lucky that my school is standards-based grading, but even within a school that is standards-based grading, we do have differentiation and people that are still um, picking those half points or like getting more into the nitty gritty. And that's not what it's about. So we have to check ourselves a lot as educators and as students. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, slowly we're, we're working our way there. <laughs> we are, you know, I, I, I'm really glad that we're talking about this pretty much for all of this month on this podcast, uh, because, you know, it takes time. Some of our students, I'm sure most of our students aren't only in modern classrooms classes. Uh, and so, you know, they come to us for one period of the day. Mine have seven classes in a day and I see them for one, right? So, you know, we're working against, you're right, we're working against a very uh, sort of entrenched system that we have to just chip away at piece by piece, but slowly but surely, we hopefully, we're making progress. It's the same way we want our students is that progress, where that's what we're moving towards and communicating that progress and sharing that prog- progress with other educators. Exactly, exactly. All right, well, listeners, we are going to take a quick break for an announcement from Tony Rose. And when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about grading in a modern classroom and shifting some of those grading mindsets. 
Hey, MCP community. The only learning experience that's happening this upcoming week is our monthly Twitter chat on equitable grading on Wednesday, September 6th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We have our fall cohort for our virtual mentorship program starting on October 16th. This is the opportunity to work with a mentor who is an educator implementing blended, self-paced, mastery-based approaches in their own classrooms. Check out www.modernclassrooms.org slash mentorship for more details. We also have scholarship opportunities, so make sure to check those. All links can be found on the show notes. All right, we are back with Kate. And Kate, I want to ask you now, we've been talking sort of high-level, broad strokes about grading. We've gotten a little bit into the sort of nitty-gritty of what happens in your class. But I would like to have you describe for the listeners sort of the elements of your modern classroom and just more specifically, what gets graded in there? So if you can kind of describe your overall grading scheme as it pertains to the the elements of a modern classroom that should be familiar to listeners, you know, mastery checks, practice progress, uh, videos, summatives, things like that. How do all of those elements of your modern classroom fit into your, your grading scheme? So for each standard, we rate on a one through four scale, very similar to colleges, One is usually for my classroom is you didn't attempt the assignment you or you were completely off base. Most of the times that happens if they're doing it digitally and they're just looking at the wrong assignment or just get completely confused and start just they need reteaching. Those students are retaught. Um, Two is you've gotten about half of it. You're on the right path, but we do need some clarification. Three is you've met the standard and four is you've exceeded the standard. Um, I always tell my students, you should live in three and visit four because they, many of my students who have been in a traditional classroom, they're like, well, I want a hundred miss. And I'm like, you're, that's not what it's about. Like you're not there yet. You need to practice more. We need more attempts at mastery before you can demonstrate that you're exceeding this standard. And That goes over well sometimes with my students. Other times they really just want me to give them a perfect four and that's not going to happen. Yeah, but that is such a great point though. It's like at what activity would you just expect to start out for the first time and do it perfectly? You know, I'm a musician. Like, can I pick up an oboe and just be perfect at it? No, of course not. I'm going to be terrible if I first pick up an oboe. I've never played an oboe before. Sorry, oboe players, but I chose to pick on you. Like, you know, students want this, like, I want to get a hundred. And it's like, but you've just started this. Sorry. Yes. I'll get off of my soapbox. <laughs> oh, I love that though. But that's exactly it. It's like, you just started in this class. You're not going to get a four right away. Um, in addition, my school policy is that we do 80% summative grades and 20% formative grades. I have also done a hundred percent summative. Mm. So what does that look like? A hundred percent summative is just their unit assessment. So I do follow a modern classrooms project model in which my students are getting instructional videos with guided notes, sometimes embedded questions. That's always depending on my technology access, practice assignment, and then they always get a mastery check. Those three things are what students are doing in my classroom pretty much every day. We do have some differentiation in terms of like what activities, what types of videos and things like that. But those are our pillars in my classroom. 
So when I was summative, nothing that they were doing got graded and they just got graded at the end of the unit on a New York State Regent style test. So multiple choice and writing. I see. I was going to ask you. So they're still doing the formatives. They're just not being graded. Yes. So in a 100% classroom, that's what that looked like. Got it. And so what I was envisioning wasn't that you were just throwing them directly into the summative with no practice or anything, but... What I guess what I was trying to clarify is like 100% summative just means that all of those activities are there for their own sake, for the sake of the learning. They're not part of the grade. Yes. I, I think that's really interesting and really powerful because even if they are sort of extrinsically motivated by their grade on the summative, they have to do those formatives. So they become motivated to do them not by the grade they're going to get on them specifically, but indirectly maybe, but it's like the connection to, or the connection between this activity and my learning, I think is a little bit more explicit in, in that sort of a, in that sort of a system. So very cool. 100% summative. I like that a lot. That worked well for teachers um, that were able to communicate student progress through things like mastery checks as well. So we were allowed to have like a zero weight column where I could track and parents could see when they log in um, to our learning management system, which is Schoology, um, to see kind of like where their student is trending. I think what's was hard about it is if you are waiting a long period between summative assessments, that can lead to not a lot of grades within one quarter. Sure. So that's where it got a little bit tricky. And that's where we decided collectively as a school to add back 20% formative. So that's not make or break for my students. My And I count my mastery checks as formative grades. That's the only thing that I'm grading and putting in to the grade book. Gotcha. Notes and practice are just practice. Gotcha. And then everything in your class is graded on that one to four scale. Yes, all of my mastery checks are graded on a one to four scale. And then this also gets tricky when I'm giving a unit test, I'm assessing on three different standards. I look at the test breakdown and say, okay, these three questions are on standard 1.A or 1A. And then these three questions are on 1B. And students get a one through four grade on each of those standards. So the test has three grades on it. Yes. So if there's a three standard test, they get three different grades um, that go into their summative column based on the standard. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense because it would, I, I feel like it would do a disservice to their knowledge to like average out if they got a one on one standard and a four on the other standard to like average them out. Right. It, yeah. It doesn't make sense that way. Right, because in one, there are four, and in one, there are one. So, you know, um, interesting. Okay, well, that was definitely nitty-gritty. <laughs> that was a little bit more granular than I even expected. But um, as you're doing the modern classrooms thing and you're looking at that progression, and I was thinking about this especially in the 100% summative um, model there, but I guess with the 20% formatives too, they're doing the same activities, just some are graded. The, master the mastery checks are graded. Uh, it is really the checking the progress, though, that you use to ensure that they're on track, right? Yes. You need, yes. especially with the 100% summative, because if they're going to do well on that summative, they have to get through the material. And so you really need that progress tracker. And I can see 
I don't I don't know, I guess, the timeline of when you were doing this, but I can see why before modern classrooms you were using kind of like a proto tracker to to keep track of where they were and make sure that they were all getting to the end, right? Getting through all the content they needed to know before attempting the summative. That's exactly why I was using some type of tracker to see where my students were at. Um, because otherwise I don't know how they're going to do on that summative assessment, or I can't even predict or know what areas I need to work on. Something that's really interesting that I wanted to add is when we have opportunities to reflect and we can look at those standards. And then I tell them what lessons go with each standard. So I'm like, oh, you see here, like you didn't get to that last part of the unit. And then that's the part on the test that you didn't perform at your ability on. So let's just redo those assignments and then retake that part of the assessment. Yeah. Okay. I'm liking this about standards-based grading now. I'm sorry. I'm starting to understand. And it, it does sort of like segment the learning into different aspects. In the IB, we use four criteria. Every subject has its own four criteria. Um, and I would always kind of imagine, you know, a musician who was really, really good at sight reading and playing exactly what's written and interpreting it beautifully right and then a musician who doesn't know how to read music but can pick up a guitar and like write a song you know um those two criteria well i guess those two musicians are both 100 percent valid i like this idea of what i'm trying to get at here is that i like this idea of sort of breaking down the actual learning into different elements that don't like average each other out that don't cause one grade to go down by by being less strong in one area, if that makes sense, or in another area. Um, I'm liking this. I'm liking this description. And I think that it's definitely a, a healthy mindset to have around grading. We're looking at improvement here in specific domains. Yes. And it's so overwhelming as a student to get a test back and be like, okay, so I got a 75. Like, what do I do to improve? Right. And when you're doing those standards and you're linking your standards to your lessons each day, you can say, okay, you need to go back and do lessons 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. Check those out. Let's re-look at those mastery checks, see how we did, and then let's retake the assessment instead of looking at a whole unit that's overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Now, do those each of those mastery checks, they're only on one individual standard? I try very hard to make them on one individual standard. One part that is difficult is sometimes I'm pairing a content with a skill. It's always one content standard, but sometimes it's also like cause and effect or similarity and difference using their content knowledge, which is what they're going to have to do on their final state assessment. Um, so sometimes that can get a little bit tricky, but ultimately students can't write about something if they don't know the content. Sure. Oh man. Okay. Well, this has been fantastic. This is great stuff for, for me. I love learning more about standards-based grading because it's something that I hear a lot and, and I, I need to go and learn more about it now. Um, I certainly feel like I agree with it. And uh, yeah, I mean, this has been really super fascinating for me just to like dive into that specific realm and think about how it does present an alternative to what I would consider to be the traditional uh approach to grading. And it's also helping me realize these things, right? Like it's, it's good to make it so concrete to say like, yeah, the fact that you, that you aren't good at composing doesn't take away that from the fact that you are very good at, at playing. 
Um, and again, I'm using my music analogy because that's what I'm familiar with, but like, I'm, uh, I think that that's definitely a very good mindset to be moving toward. Um, so, so thank you for that. Um, Kate, before we wrap up here, I'd like to hear from you what you hope to see in the future. I think you might not have mentioned this, but something you wrote, uh, in, in your notes in our document is that you became a distinguished educator and an expert mentor for modern classrooms. Um, is that was in 2021? Yes, that was in 2021. Um, I was able to do VSI and then immediately after Virtual Summer Institute, I applied to become a distinguished educator. And then that same fall, I became an expert mentor with the Modern Classrooms Project. So right now I work with mentees in the Virtual Summer Institute as well as the School Year Institute and work with them through the course and their submissions. And I love doing that part is being a thought partner for people that want to switch to the MPC model, MCP model. Yes, absolutely. Me too. That's my favorite part of the, of, of this work is getting on calls with people and just like talking through issues. But yeah. So what else? Uh, like, what do you hope to see in the future in your classroom? What goals do you have for yourself in the classroom? I was actually speaking to a coworker about this today when I was preparing for the podcast. I'm like, I don't know what my goal should be. Like I'm working towards, I'm a mentor coordinator this school year. So I'll be working with other professionals in my school. So I do want to share the model with them um, and see some benefits of even pieces of it. Like I am a huge proponent of like mastery checks and rubrics um, or pacing tracker or different elements of it. So I would love to share it with some new professionals. But also in my own classroom, I really want to conference more with my students. Um, That's something that I'm always reaching towards and it happens organically, but I would really like to plan for it. And my coworker really brought that out to me. She was like, that's something you talk about all the time. So that's what you should be working towards. And I was like, thank you for pointing that out to me. Yeah, I love that. You know, I'm always all about those relationships. (laughs) Well, that's exactly it. It's like I love building relationships and it does happen in my classroom. I purposely plan for those beginning of the year ones. But as I continue throughout the year, I want to be meaningful in my conferencing with students and really keep track of it and help them grow in that sense. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So Kate, how can our listeners connect with you if they'd like to you know, have that thought partner um, for, I guess, anything MCP, but also more specifically to talk with you about grading, ask you questions about these shifts that you have made uh, in, in your grading practices? How can people connect with you? I've rebooted uh, my teacher Instagram and it's at global with Gilly. Um, my students call me Gilly. So that is a great place to connect with me. I'll be posting more modern classrooms project, more mentor coordination, social studies, all of that stuff, as well as literacy that I'm really passionate about that. So you can connect with me there. My email is super long. So that's a harder one. I can give it to you in the show notes if you want me to do that as well. Sure. I will link Kate's email in the show notes. So listeners, if you want to email her, uh, it'll be there. Check that podcast player. Um, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Kate. I, I, I'm really glad that we've been able to sort of open up this month's set of discussions on grading with this. Um, we had some specifics and some, and some generalities, and I'm I'm really excited to get into this topic more. And I think this was a great start. So thank you, Kate, so much for joining me. Of course. Listeners, 
Remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org, and you can find the show notes for this episode on the web at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 155, or in your podcast player if you're using a decent one. We'll have this episode's transcript uploaded on Friday, so be sure to check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. And thank you all for listening. Have a great week, and we will be back next Sunday. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students and schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.